If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. As has been mentioned, we're starting a new series in the book of Proverbs. Uh, we've entitled it The Way of Wisdom. Um, but before I start and before we read the passage, let me, if I may, and I don't often do this, but let me uh, put a challenge to you as the Honeywich Baptist Church. And, and that challenge is really to take up and read this book. Uh, one of my firm convictions, however, with this book is that this book will have very little influence and impact in your life if you just read it. Now, this is one of those books in Scripture that needs to be taken up and read, but thought on and reflected upon and applied. Uh, if I can make very quickly share one of the things that points this out to me, one of my favorite preachers back in the day, not that long ago, uh, preached a sermon series on this passage, and I loved it so much I, I listened to that sermon series twice, uh, and not long after he preached that he fell into heinous sin. Not very wise. Because it's one thing preaching this passage and preaching this book and hearing it preached, it's a completely another thing to apply it. And so, with that in mind, I, I want to raise a challenge to you as Honeywich. Uh, as you'll see, it was emailed this past week, and you can grab a copy of this at the back. And really, in this little booklet, there's three challenges for you. The first challenge is to set yourself to read a chapter of this book a day. Uh, that was the practice that Billy Graham was famous for. He read a chapter of Proverbs a day. Um, and, and that's helpful to be in this book and to be acquainted with all the wisdom and the knowledge that it offers. But the second challenge I want to raise to you is not just to do that, but to when you read this particular book and read a chapter on it, really take time to take one proverb of the day and meditate upon it and, and reflect upon it and, and pray it and apply it in your life. You'll see in the booklet I've included a, an approach of how to meditate on a, pro, a proverb. Uh, I've told you what a proverb is to help you uh, think through it. And one thing that we're doing in my household, and Brian and myself are going to be doing, is if you're a couple, uh, both of you, both husband, wife, perhaps, boyfriend, girlfriend, for those who are in that stage, uh, read a chapter a day, and together at the end of the day, uh, share your proverb of the day so that you can encourage one another in that. Uh, and the third challenge you'll see at the back there is really for the families. If you've done this, if you've read through the chapter, if you've gotten into the habit of meditating on a particular proverb, I would encourage the fathers here to lead your families through this book. Uh, to lead your families, because one of the concerns that I have for my own family, one of the fears I have, is that we would be wise and not foolish as we navigate this world. And so that's my challenge to you this morning as we come to this book, uh, just listening to the sermon series, just reading this book, uh, won't instill the wisdom that you desire. It requires thoughtful reflection and application. Now, with that in mind, that's a bit of a long preface to the mass passage. Let's turn to our passage. And this morning, I want to really focus on the 
preamble or the introduction to this book, and that is chapter 1, verse 1 to 7. Unfortunately, we don't have it on the screen this morning, so I do want to encourage you to have your Bibles with you. Uh, That would be a first step in wisdom, I think. Have your Bibles with you on the Lord's Day. But listen what, uh, how the proverb starts. Uh, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Only so far in the reading of God's word may he reform our lives to its truth. I know we've prayed, but let me pray again for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage, as we come to this difficult topic, topic of, of gaining wisdom, which isn't easy. We can't gain wisdom by osmosis. It, it requires carefulness and thoughtfulness. But, but above all, it requires your grace. And so we pray, dear Lord, as we give ourselves to the study of this book, as we give ourselves to to thinking through wisdom and applying Proverbs, would you not give us this grace? Would you not lead us? Uh, Your word says that we must ask and pray for wisdom because you give it graciously. And so even this morning, would you not grant it to me in my own weakness, in my own shortcomings, in my own failures? But would you not grant it to each of us, knowing that uh, we need wisdom, we need to be wise. And so we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Where is the life we have lost in living? Where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we have lost in information? Uh, those were questions asked by T.S. Eliot, a famous poet and essayist, uh, he recognized that even in his day, all our knowledge doesn't always necessarily translate to wisdom. For all the knowledge and the, the info that we have all around us, that doesn't easily translate into lives lived well, where we make good decisions that affect our families and our country. And Eliot's questions are appropriate for our day, don't you think? Far more than in the 1900s, we have an overabundance of information. We've got Google. We've even got ChatGPT. We've got the latest news feeds, the latest podcasts. We've got Twitter or X as it is known today or Instagram and Facebook. We have an information overload at our fingertips, readily available, but the question is, are we better for it? Are we more godly? Are we more righteous? Are we wiser for it? I'd venture to say that the answer is no. If anything, we're 
we've become more foolish. We've become more uh, desirous of instant gratification. We've become more contentious and more divided. We've become more foolish as a people and as a nation. And, And am I right in assuming that that's not what we want? Am I right in assuming that that's not what you want? You don't want to be foolish. You want to be wise. You want to know how to navigate this life and and make decisions that are beneficial to you and your loved ones and, and the world around you. None of us wants to be known as foolish, living foolish lives. And realize this is one of the assumptions of Proverbs, namely that wisdom is desirable. Wisdom is desirable. We see that in our passage, that wisdom is good, and therefore we need to know it and understand it. (coughs) Excuse me. And receive it and give wisdom. It is desirable. Listen to Proverbs 8.11. It says, therefore, wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. See, wisdom is desirable, and it's desirable because none of us want to be fools. But, but that leads to the other assumption of Proverbs, that foolishness, whether we like to admit it or not, is natural. Isn't that, again, what we see in our passage? The very fact that our passage calls upon us to know and understand and receive wisdom assumes that we do not know and understand and possess wisdom. As the commentator John Kitchen noted, no one left to himself ever arrives at wisdom. See, the book of Proverbs recognizes that wisdom isn't natural. Rather, it is something to be pursued and sought after so that you can acquire it. Uh, I don't know he was going to read this passage, but Proverbs 4, verse 5, that Carl read earlier, listen to what it says. Again, get wisdom. Get insight. Why? Because we are naturally unwise. Whoever here has made a bad decision, raise your hand. Half people or half of you are honest, half of you are liars. <laughs> we need to realize all of us by nature are unwise. We are by nature not just unwise, but sinfully unwise. Listen to the rest of verse 4. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my youth. Now why tell us do not forget? Why tell us do not turn away? Because by nature, that's what we do as sinners. By nature, we foolishly turn away from God and His wisdom and His ways and pursue our own. So according to Proverbs 22.15, folly is bound up in our heart from birth. Foolishness is natural. And so what's my point? My point is this, if wisdom is desirable and if foolishness is natural, then surely we should desire wisdom. Surely we should desire the pursuit of wisdom as of first importance, as necessary, so that we could live lives well that are marked by wise decisions that affect us and bless us and bless our family and our community.
And see, that's where the book of Proverbs comes in. God in this book sets before us the way of wisdom. God comes in this book and he's calling us to have wisdom and to walk in his ways so that we would be wise. The God who is all wise, you need to realize, is speaking to us in this book so that we would be wise. Now, as we consider our passage, uh, which really is an introduction to the book, I want you to see that this text answers four questions. It's the what, the why, the who, and the where question. First one is this, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? When we think of wisdom, what comes to mind? Well, our passage is quite helpful because Solomon here gives us a whole host of words that help us understand what wisdom is. In these first few verses, we are given nine nouns, and all of these describe what wisdom is. They, they overflow and overlap in one another and, and give us a beautiful picture like a diamond with many sides. It gives us a glimpse into wisdom. I don't know why I went like all nine words this morning, but, but here's five of them to consider. The first word is knowledge. Da'at uh, in the Hebrew, if you're studying this further, you see that in verse 4. Now, it's true, you can have knowledge without wisdom, but it's also true we need to realize that you cannot have wisdom without knowledge. And we see here that wisdom includes knowledge, but this knowledge isn't just an academic, intellectual knowledge. No, this word for knowledge speaks of an experiential understanding, knowledge that is gained through life experience, knowledge that learns from life. In fact, the same idea is in the other word, Learning in verse 5, lakai, it's similar meaning, this idea of an experiential knowledge. And from these words, we learn that wisdom is applied knowledge. Wisdom is gaining knowledge from life, learning, and wisdom is applying that knowledge to life. Now, Tim Keller puts it this way, wisdom is wedding thought and experience to become competent with regard to the realities of life. So the first element of wisdom is knowledge, but, but there's another word. Uh, the second word is instruction. That's the word masar in the Hebrew, verse 2 and 3. That's where you see it. Uh, that word can be translated uh, discipline or correction, and it refers to the, the process of education, gaining knowledge not only by experience, but gaining knowledge by correction and discipline. All of this implies, therefore, that, that gaining knowledge isn't easy. It's, not, it's profitable to be wise, but it's not always comfortable to be wise, to get wisdom. I think of a child learning to write or read. It requires hard work. It requires discipline. It requires correction. But if that child receives the instruction, if he does and, and learns from that correction, that child grows in wisdom or knowledge. And, and that's what this word Messiah teaches. It's showing us that wisdom accepts instruction. See, if someone is unteachable, according to Proverbs, that person, by definition, is a fool. And so wisdom includes instruction, receiving instruction, accepting it, 
The third word is the word for insight. Uh, that's in the Hebrews 9 verse 2. It can be translated as understanding or discernment. And it basically means that a person has, has gained knowledge by experience. They've, they've gained knowledge by instruction. And now they're able to discern and see what is right and what is wrong. That person is able to perceive different options. He has insight into what is right and what is wrong, what is true and false, what is good and what is bad. And what this word teaches us is that wisdom knows right from wrong. It's an a, a insight into what pleases God and what doesn't. See, someone is wise if they know that one course of action leads to that which is wrong, bad, or false, and another course of action is right, true, and good. And because of this insight, this understanding, this wise person, the text says, is marked by wise dealing. They not only know that something is wrong and right or right, but they understand why it's wrong or right. Uh, the next word is prudence in verse 4. In the Hebrew, it's the word orma. Now, that's an interesting word. Often that word is used negatively. It's often used to translate, it's translated as being crafty or shrewd or cunning. I think of someone, an enemy who plots and schemes. Well, that's the idea here, but it's used positively. The point is this wise person is prudent in making plans. His insight and understanding leads, to, leads him to prepare and plan ahead. Uh, the similar idea is communicated in other words, like discretion in verse 4 and guidance in verse 5. Both of those words, along with Orma, refer to the ability to, to understand a situation and to make a plan to avoid any danger or pitfalls. In fact, the Hebrew word for uh, guidance there comes from the word rope, which sailors use to navigate through the seas. And, and the idea is this, the wise person sees danger and course corrects. He makes plans. And the point is wisdom is practical. It makes plans as it goes forward. So, so far then we've seen something of, of knowledge Wisdom inquire, uh, includes uh, knowledge and learning. Uh, wisdom includes uh, instruction and, and insight. And, and wisdom includes prudence and, and discretion and, and guidance. But there's one more word we need to consider. In fact, that's the, the first word on the list, but I've left it for last because it's the word that summarizes everything. And that's the word wisdom. Chokmah in the Hebrew. I'll never forget that in Hebrew class. Chokmah. What does chokmah mean? Well, it means skillful living. Uh, do you know the first time that word is used? It's used in Exodus, where God sets men apart to, to make clothes for the high priest, or set apart artisans who, who build the temple. They are given chokmah, the ability, skill, to produce something beautiful. See, wisdom is all about skillful living that produces the good, the beautiful. I, I like this quote by Ray Ortland. He puts it this way. 
wisdom is skill, expertise, competence that understands how life works, how to achieve successful, even beautiful results. And that's really everything that we've looked at points to this. See, someone has chokmah, has wisdom, if they've gained experiential knowledge, they've freely received instruction into what is right and wrong, they have insight into why it's right and wrong, and they prudently and with discretion avoid the wrong and pursue the right. See, that's what it means to be wise. It is skillful living. It is the art of living well. And, and realize, dear friends, that's what God desires of us in this book. That's what he puts on offer for you in this book. So that you would live life well, artfully, producing beauty that honors and glorifies him. We've looked at the nouns in this passage. Look at the verbs. In Proverbs, God would have us be a people who know and understand and receive, and increase, and give wisdom. That should be our desire this morning, that we would know wisdom, that we would increase in it, that we'd be a people who can provide it and give it to those around us. But, but that leads us to the next question, and, and that's the why question. Why is wisdom so important? Why does God call you and me to be wise. Why get wisdom? If you're not careful, you might miss it, but our passage points out why wisdom matters. Look at the end of verse 3. Wisdom matters because it produces righteousness, justice, and equity. Uh, those, three, those three words describe the effects of wisdom. Those three words reveal the, the ethical ends of worship. Of, of, of wisdom, which is, isn't just about skillful living, but righteous living. What do those three words mean? Well, they mean that the wise person does what is right and moral, he upholds what is just and good, and he pursues fairness and acts with integrity. See, these three words describe the, the morality, the, the ethical traits of the wise. Now, these three words, I think, are quite helpful because they give us a litmus test of those who are truly wise. So, so you, can be, you can claim to be wise. And, and we have many in our society who claim to be wise. <coughs> Excuse me. Yet if it is marked by immorality, if it is marked by injustice and a lack of integrity... If it is marked by unrighteousness, Proverbs would tell us, you're actually not wise. A, a guy by the name of Paul Johnson wrote a book called The Intellectuals. And in that book, he did an expose on the lives of the greatest thinkers in, in the previous century. Ernest Hemingway and John Jacques Rousseau, Karl Marx, Bertrand, uh, Bertrand Russell, not that Russell, Bertrand Russell, the philosopher, uh, and, and what Johnson found was that despite these men being considered wise by many, the, the, the influencers of society, their personal lives were highly, highly immoral. 
See, these supposed wise guys actually produced unrighteousness. And Proverbs would tell us that these men actually aren't wise. Because these men did not produce the fruit of wisdom, which is righteous living. Rather, they produce the stench of folly, which is unrighteousness. And dear friends, that's another reason why this book matters, why wisdom matters. Proverbs teaches us that there's two paths before each one of us. Either you walk in the way of wisdom, which is marked by righteousness and leads to blessing and life, or you walk in the way of folly, which is marked by unrighteousness, and leads to nothing but suffering and death and separation from God. That's why wisdom matters. That's the options before you. Those are the destinations open to each one of us. Either you walk in wisdom or you walk in folly. Either you're on the path to life or death. Uh, listen to how wisdom speaks, Proverbs 8, 35 to 36. Whoever finds me, wisdom says, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. A wonderful description of being foolish. All who hate me love death. Therefore, later on, chapter 9, verse 6, wisdom says, leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the ways of insight. Dear friends, that's why wisdom matters. That's why you ought to pursue wisdom. Having looked at what wisdom is and why it matters, let's consider the next question. Who gets wisdom? Who gets wisdom? In our text, three kinds of people are delineated, highlighted. They are the wise in verse 5. They are the foolish in verse 7. But before both of them, we are told of the simple or the youth in verse 4. Now, those two words aren't uh, pejorative. They're not uh, uh, insulting. It's not like calling someone a simpleton or or, down, uh, overlook, or, or looking down on someone because they're youth. No, no, these are people who are just merely inexperienced, immature. The word for simple means to be wide open, in fact. It speaks of someone who is open and vulnerable to influence, whether that is good influence or bad influence, whether he's being persuaded to godliness or deceived in unrighteousness. And see, in the book of Proverbs, there are two options for the simple, the two roads I mentioned. Either they become wise and they walk in the way of wisdom, or they become closed and they walk in folly. Either they get wisdom or they don't. And so the question is, who of the simple gets wisdom? What about the simple will lead them to get wisdom? Uh, just look at verse 5 as Solomon describes the wise. He says, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. So, so who has wisdom? Well, it's the person who willingly hears the truth. It's the one who desires to grow in knowledge. It's the person who receives 
and accepts guidance. That's where the path to to wisdom, uh, in a sense, is open for you. Uh, Listen to Proverbs 1, 32 to 33. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure. See, the person who has wisdom is the one who humbles himself. Who, who listens, who receives, that's who's wise. In, in, in the fool, in contrast, is different. Instead of receiving instruction, instead of desiring wisdom, verse 4, 7 tells us the fool despises wisdom. Why? Because the fool thinks he's arrived. He thinks he's got it down. The fool thinks himself already wise and he's a proud know-it-all. As Spurgeon once said, there's no fool, there's no greater fool as a knowing fool. Why? Because the fool thinks he knows it all. And so realize the path toward wisdom is open when you realize you need wisdom. When you realize that foolishness is actually innate and natural. Wisdom, therefore, is characterized not merely by skillful living, not merely by righteous living, it's marked by humble living. It's characterized by recognizing your need. Listen again, I shared this with the dads yesterday. It's one of my favorite passages in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 2. Notice the posture of the wise in the first five verses of chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to my wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as a treasure, then, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. See, that's who has wisdom. It's the person who recognizes they need wisdom and therefore with sincerity and urgency and diligence, that's what those three ifs mean in the text, they receive wisdom. They receive instruction. They desire understanding. They pursue it like a treasure. And so the challenge for us is, are you pursuing wisdom like a treasure? I'd venture to say... If you compare how we pursue success in business and we pursue success in our hobbies, that pales, or, or our pursuit in, for wisdom pales in comparison to that. And, and so the challenge for us is, are we pursuing to be wise? Uh, this leads to the final question to ask, and that is where to get wisdom. Where, where do you go to find wisdom. In verse 7, we, we not only come to the crescendo of our passage, but technically speaking, we come to the first proverb in the book of Proverbs. As some have said that this verse is the key to unlocking the book of Proverbs. And in this well-known verse, we come to learn where wisdom is found. We come to see where wisdom begins. And it begins with the fear of the Lord. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord 
is the beginning of knowledge. The same idea is repeated in chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now, now these verses are well known, but I would say, I would suggest, I think we're too quickly to dismiss what they mean. We're we're too quick to say, well, fear doesn't really mean fear. It it means reverence. It means awe. It means wonder. And and don't get me wrong. That idea of fear does include this idea of reverence and and wonder. But, But realize there's also an element of truth that we need to know that God must be feared. There are a few reasons why. He is the creator, right? He has created all things in heaven and on earth by the power of his word, and we are but creatures. Like grass, here today, but gone tomorrow. He is the all-powerful God who sustains all things with his might. Yet we are weaklings whose very life and breath depend on Him. He is all-wise, all-knowing, all-seeing. Yet we are so often foolish. He is holy, righteous. We are not. And so, dear friends, we must fear God because He is God and we are not. And the quicker we realize that, the closer we get to wisdom. I know many perhaps struggle with this idea of fearing God, but realize according to the Bible, the fear of the Lord is a good thing. It's healthy. According to Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is, in the fear of the Lord you find true security. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord you find true riches and honor. Proverbs 22, 4. In the field of the Lord, you find true rest and satisfaction for your soul. Proverbs 19, 23. In fearing the Lord, there is life. Proverbs 14, 27. And so despite it being a difficult truth to grasp, the fear of the Lord is good. And not only is it good, it's the thing that sets the believer apart from the unbeliever. It's the thing that will separate us one from another. Either you fear God or you don't. And notice how verse 7 fits together. The fear of the Lord is contrasted with a fool who does what? Who despises wisdom, who has contempt for knowledge, who, who scorns and belittles God's insight. That's what that word despises means. And so we have your contrasted for us two perspectives, two people, two worldviews. One that disdains and disregards and, and, and dis- despises God. The other that is consciously and cautiously aware of God. And the challenge for us is which perspective, which worldview is true of us? Are we those who live life in God's world without thought to God? Or are we keenly aware that we live as before the face of God? 
Listen again to John Kitchen. He describes the fear of the Lord. To possess the fear of the Lord is to embrace reality. It signals the adoption of a biblical worldview. It defines the perspective of the person who has come to see that the earth is the Lord's and, it, and all it contains. It describes an informed and accurate perspective of who God is and who I am before him. See, the fear of the Lord is recognizing that you live before the eyes of God. As one author has said, it's recognizing that you live in the presence of God. You live, move, and have your being in Him. It's recognizing that you live before His person. Who is He? He is holy and just and righteous and mighty. It's recognizing that you live under His precepts, that He's called you to obey Him, to honor Him, to be holy as He is holy, to love Him with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And when you understand all of this about God, you ought to fear Him. But the question becomes, how is this fear not dreadful? How do we turn this fear that can be dreadful and for the unbeliever should be dreadful? How does this fear become transform from dreadful fear to delightful fear. A, a fear that sees him in reverence and awe and wonder. Well, the answer is found in verse 7. Look again at verse 7. Notice verse 7, the fear of who? The Lord, all capitals, God's covenant name. In other words, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. And so to have a good fear, not just merely a dreadful fear, but a delightful fear, to have that, you must have Yahweh as your God. You must have a relationship with Him, where, where despite your sin and your failures, you've been reconciled to Him, and therefore you are His and He is yours. And how does that happen? How can you have this God as your God well, you know the answer to that, it's Jesus. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom comes down, in a sense, from eternity and calls us to himself. I don't have time to flesh it out this morning, but who is wisdom? It's Christ. He's the Son of God who's been with the Father for all eternity. He comes down from eternity. He calls us to himself. He is wisdom from God who reconciles us to God. Uh, remember what Paul says of Christ, 1 Corinthians 1.30, that Christ became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And so it's by having Christ that you can have this God as your God. Realize having God as yours in Christ, however, doesn't remove the sphere no, it, it motivates the sphere. It reorientates the sphere. Do you know what the second stanza, how the second stanza of Amazing Grace starts? We love the first stanza. You know how the second one starts? It was grace that taught my heart to fear. What we need to realize is that God's grace in Christ who saves us ought to instill this fear. Uh, listen to 
Proverbs, oh not Proverbs, Psalm 130, verse 3 to 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. See, those who have been saved by the Son and those who have been filled by the Spirit will inevitably walk in the fear of God. Uh, Listen to how Peter describes it. Listen to how he exhorts believers. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile that is in your life. Why? Knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Fear God because of the gospel. We're too quickly to think that the gospel removes this fear. No, the gospel gospel reorientates this fear. The gospel helps us to see all that our God has done and moves us to awe and wonder and delight in Him. Uh, The classic definition of the fear of the Lord is Charles Bridges' definition in his commentary. He says this, The fear of the Lord is that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. His wrath is so bitter, but his love is so sweet. Therefore, there springs within the child of God an earnest desire to please him. And there is a holy watchfulness and fear that that we may not sin against the Lord. So where is wisdom found? Where is the wisdom we've lost in knowledge? It's found in Jesus. It's found in having God as your God in Christ, in Christ in whom there is the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And therefore wisdom is found and enjoyed when there is this fear of God, this fear recognizing that although you are a worm, the great God of the universe has saved you and he's given you new life in his son. And therefore you fear because you don't want to displease him. You don't want to dishonor him. You don't want to neglect all that he's done for you. And therefore you live life gratefully, joyfully in him. Now, Charles Simeon has said this, to know God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent, is the highest principle and perfection of man, the attainment, this attainment, infinitely above all others, constitutes true wisdom. Or to quote Calvin, to search for wisdom apart from Christ means not simply foolhardiness, but utter insanity. And so, dear friends, as we pursue wisdom, as we take up and read, let us do so with the fear of the Lord, but a fear that's been transformed by grace, a fear that has its eyes set on Christ, that He would be our vision. We're going to sing that song now. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my And the second stanza says this, Be thou my wisdom, be thou my true word. May this encourage us to pursue wisdom, lives 
that honor Him and glorify Him and produce the beauty of skillful living. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this, prayer, this morning and thankful for your word, thankful for all that you teach us in the book of Proverbs. But, but we also recognize and we need to recognize and we ask that you'd help us to recognize that, that for this book to have its effect, to, to change us and to make us wise, that, that, that we need to humble ourselves before you that we need to receive its instructions, that we need to dwell and meditate to understand its insights so that by your grace we would live in a way that honors you and pleases you. Dear Lord, your word says that you give the fear of the Lord and so we pray that you would give us this fear of you this morning. My prayer this morning, Lord, is help me to have a renewed fear of you. Not, not just a dreadful fear, a dreadful fear that is appropriate because I know my own sinful heart, but a fear that is delightful because it's tainted with grace. Thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is wisdom from above. Thank you that the cross is wisdom of God, the wisdom of God revealed. And so we pray that even as we approach this book, we will do so in the shadow of the cross. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.